Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. For this week's episode, we're going to share principal analyst Ryan Skinner's keynote from our recent consumer marketing forum in New York. Ryan discusses how direct-to-consumer brands are capturing consumer imagination and beating legacy companies at growth by building stronger direct relationships and value with customers. Let's take a listen. It is a glorious time to be a lazy shopper, am I right? You can start on your sofa or lying in bed. You can go online and shop and buy and have delivered just about anything you like from the sofa you're sitting on to the bed you're laying in. What's more, you can now go online and get a subscription to just about anything so that you never have to shop for it again. You can get a subscription to socks, for God's sake. What's more, if you Google who gives a crap, you can get a subscription to toilet paper. You'll never have to buy toilet paper. They'll send you a roll of toilet paper or a few every week and also help make the world a better place. We are living in remarkable times. Things that we thought were impossible are increasingly possible. And we're learning the way that we grew up learning how to buy things may not be the best way to buy things. For example, why go to a retailer, online or off, when I can just go straight to the manufacturer and maybe get it cheaper, or maybe get it in a broader selection of colors or fits or what have you? Why go to the store to take the product to turn it around and play with it to understand what it does when I can just have it sent to my house and do the same and then just send it back if I don't like it or it doesn't fit or it's the wrong color, right? Just change my mind. Why buy from strange faceless entities online when maybe I can buy it from a community of people I know and trust? There's a lot of new ways we're finding that we can buy things. And there's a whole generation of people coming up who started buying things in these new ways. And they look at us and they're like, I understand that you bought it in the old way before, but now you can buy it in new and better ways, and why aren't you doing that? That's silly. Change. There's a whole generation of businesses that are leaning into this new environment. They were made for these new ways of capturing value. They're rethinking how products and delivers and value are delivered. They say, why can't you just text some business to get a refill, like Dirty Lemon lets you? Why can't you get five versions of the product sent to your house and then just send the four back you don't like, like Warby Parker lets you? Why can't you go online and choose from a selection of 50 different colors cosmetics as opposed to just a small handful, like Fenty lets you? These businesses are rethinking value propositions. And in the context, in a particular way, they're changing the commercial world. However, even if consumers are changing, purchase patterns are changing, there's a few things that aren't going to happen. Some things won't change with consumers. We're not going to suddenly decide that we're willing to support 1,000 or 10,000 different subscriptions. That's not likely to happen. We're not going to stop going to Amazon. My wife, Mrs. Skinner, she's still going to go to Amazon first when she's thinking about buying just about anything. And the data actually backs that up. When we talk to consumers, non-prime customers, that is people who aren't bought into Amazon per se, they say Amazon's the first place that I look when I'm shopping online. Another thing consumers aren't going to do, they're not going to keep going back month after month, week after week, to a particular offering that is the corn-fed, grass-fed, heirloom, custom-tailored, specific, bespoke-to-you product 
that is selling at 50,000% of the price of what they're accustomed to buy. They're not likely to do that. So while some of these DTC startups have a date with VC destiny and they're gonna make their owners very, very rich, many of them, if not most, have a date with the dust. As one CEO of a dead DTC said, things revert to the mean. So we, as many of us in the room are traditional marketers, maybe with legacy brands, could very well say, whew, well, I don't need to worry about them then. That would be the exact wrong conclusion to take. It's like what the matador is trying to tell the bull. You're missing the point. What the DTCs are trying to tell us is this. Your consumers will tell you in a moment, in a heartbeat, with a flick of the thumb, if whether what you're offering feels valuable. But you're only gonna know that if you're relating to them directly. And there's less and less reason not to be. And your competitors, who are increasingly doing it, they're gonna eat you alive. The bullfight does not end well for the bull. The primary challenge facing marketers in the coming years is this. Explore how you can get value to your customers more directly. Learn from how your customers relate to that value. And then deliver even more value. That's the radical notion that underpins what we call direct to value. It's not about your channels, it's not about your delivery, it's not about your products, it's really not about you at all, it's about the relationship that you're able to establish directly with these customers. That's what underpins what we call direct-to-value, which we define as such, an aspirational approach to customer relationships wherein the brand aims to deliver as much value as it can, as directly as it can, to the customer. It is ambitious, it is aspirational, it is inevitable. To sum up, or to make it as clear as possible, it should make sense to the customer when it's direct. It should make even more sense to the customer when it's more direct. A great direct-to-value approach is the difference between Diet Coke testing four products over two years and Elf Cosmetics trialing 90 in half the time. It's the difference between optimizing for clicks and engagement versus optimizing for dollars in sales. It's the difference between selling your products in a store with your name on it versus selling your products in an endless online aisle of your competitors. So as you remember, I was telling you consumers were starting to think that maybe the old way that we bought things isn't the best way to buy things. Maybe that was a little bit silly and stupid. We should change. Well, there's a corollary to that from consumers' perspective. They're increasingly willing to experiment in buying things in new ways. They'll try it out from brands that they know and brands that they don't. It behooves marketers to engage in a program of exploration to understand the direct value propositions that make sense to their brand and to their particular consumers. And I'll tell you, oftentimes it won't look like what a DTC entrepreneur would develop. Let's look at a couple examples. So let's start with Hilton. Now Hilton's not gonna become Airbnb tomorrow. They have half a thousand properties, tens of thousands of employees. Most of their room nights are sold through online aggregators like Expedia and Priceline. However, 
they're able to offer, for those customers who shop with them directly, a price match guarantee. Now that makes a lot of sense to consumers. Why shouldn't Hilton be able to lock in the lowest prices when I buy from them directly? And it makes a lot of sense to Hilton. Then now they start to know when and where and how and maybe even sometimes why people are buying from them. Or maybe let's look at Adidas. Adidas developed a remarkable direct proposition that wasn't based upon their well-known football, basketball, hockey, or baseball gear. No. They launched it through what they called their creator strategy. What they did is they commissioned some unique, remarkable creative talent to develop some eminently Instagrammable shoes and then made those only available on adidas.com and trusted that that jungle telegraph would work, and it did. These aren't the kinds of things like a D typical DTC startup would imagine or invent, but it worked for Hilton and it worked for Adidas. So as a marketer, you're saying, how do we then approach this idea of our direct-to-value proposition? How do we do that? Well, in order to help answer that question, Forrester talked to dozens of big brands and their DTC direct teams to understand what are you doing, what's working, what's not working. We looked at even more than that DTC startups. And off the back of that, we developed what we call the direct-to-value canvas. The direct-to-value canvas is a kind of map of models that fits all the different models against two major vectors that have and will continue to underpin value in the eyes of the customers. Greater product value and greater service value. Within each of these, and sometimes incorporating both, you have a lot of interesting propositions that have value to the consumer. So let's look at a few of those. Let's start with, for example, on the product value axis, personalized products. So you might know these from the likes of M&Ms, which lets you put your name or any particular message on the candy itself. At Forrester, we use a lot of these. But we're even seeing some of the food groups develop new production methodologies to actually etch names into the actual food itself. And we're seeing interesting products like from Pro's Hair Care, which makes unique personalized formulations of shampoos specific to your hair and your hair alone. Very differentiating on the product axis, but not necessarily on the service axis. So what looks different? What is like perfect for the product or service delivery or service value and in innovation? That's a really interesting little group or model that we call stigma avoidance. These are the kinds of propositions for products where discretion is the key. The kinds of products where the fewer conversations you can have around them, the better. You can think of a number of these. Erectile dysfunction, baldness, incontinence, a lot of things that real people struggle with but don't want to have too many conversations about. Some of these propositions, by being more direct, make sense to the consumers. Actually, the more direct you can be, the better. But there's not a lot of differentiation in terms of the product. The product is very straightforward. It's just the service experience that's unique. Another interesting service play is that well-known replenishment subscription, right? engaging directly to get those products delivered to me. We're seeing that we won't see tens of thousands of subscriptions supported by a single consumer, but there is actually a lot of interest in these. We gathered data against who's interested in different propositions and found that almost 40% of shoppers, both male and female, are interested in a subscription, for example, food and beverages. And there's some interesting splits between the men and women in particular categories. For example, it seems like Men are, more men than women, are happy not to have to go to the store and buy different types of clothing or footwear. 
and more women than men seem to be happy not to have to go and keep buying food for Grover. We're seeing some interesting splits in terms of how those subscriptions actually get lived out by the consumers. Another interesting model is what we call the affordable luxury model. One DTC entrepreneur summed it up like this. I traveled to a faraway country to find this remarkable thing, to bring it back to you, my friend, and offer it to you directly. And as such, I can offer it a unique price. You're going to see some of the brands, even at this event, operate under that kind of model, where the direct proposition has value in the consumer's eyes. A really interesting model that I like is what we call the personalized curation. One great example of personalized curation is this business called Hello Skin. Now, they curate a set of products that are for people with specific kinds of skin conditions, like psoriasis and eczema. And what they do is once you start to buy from them, they hit you with like 12 different questions. Now, you talk to most of your conversion optimization people and say, oh, we're going to put 12 questions in the path to purchase. They'd freak out. But this is the kind of hassle that makes sense. The consumer understands because they're trying to learn about them to deliver just the right concoction or set of products. It makes sense in the consumer's eyes, that hassle. The last model I'm going to dive into in any depth is what we call product as a service. It's perhaps one of the most ambitious models in that it marries real service innovation with product innovation. These are for those offerings that are very broad and are determined to deliver the benefit that the product promises as a service. One of the brands we spoke with that's working against this type of model is Philips. Philips has made a grand brand promise to increase health and wellness for millions and millions of people. And the only way they can do that is through what they're calling a kind of wellness as a service. There are a number of other different models that live within this framework. I'm not going to go through all of them. The point is this. If you start with where your consumer's motivation starts and stop fixating on just going direct for direct's own sake, you'll end up at a much, much better place. Now, a lot of people ask me, where is this DTC thing going to go? What are we going to see? I think as we see more and more businesses and brands determined to deserve the kinds of direct relationships that they want to earn, they're going to put more and more weight behind their efforts. And so one thing that we're going to see, for example, is more investment in the DTC startups, purchasing or acquisition. The acquisition of Dollar Shave Club by Unilever and the acquisition of Bevel by Procter & Gamble is just a starting shot what we'll see is a series of acquisitions, particularly probably accelerating if there's any kind of recession. One business, Kraft Heinz, wanted to jumpstart that process. So they even developed what they call Springboard, a kind of accelerator for their own in-house DTC startups. What they're doing is they're professionalizing what I call DTC's high-octane product testing. Another interesting play that we'll see in investment is into novel expertise. Case in point, Mars Pet Care. Mars Pet Care has made a remarkable set of investments over the past three years. They've bought three different veterinary service companies. They bought a pet technology company. They established a VC fund for pet technologies, all in order to earn the kind of direct relationships with customers that they want to have. So what's the key takeaway that you want to have off of this idea of direct-to-value. I want you to think specifically, it should make sense for the customer that it's direct, and it should make even more sense for the customer when it's more direct. 
That is the promise that underpins the direct-to-value approach. And don't fixate on the DTC darlings. There are enough places online to go buy a mattress. Thank you very much. Now is the time for marketing organizations to challenge their fundamental assumptions about what customers want. Get help with our complimentary guide, Beyond the Tipping Point, a call to action for marketers at 4.com slash tipping point. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash tipping point. Thanks for listening.